Battling Cyber Threats Against Energy Infrastructure. Interview with Jan Iftemia, Episode 10. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. This week, we speak with Jan Iftemia, a cybersecurity expert working for NATO and partner countries. Jan just received his PhD from Central European University on the topic of cybersecurity threats to Europe's energy infrastructure. Jan commanded an infantry unit in the United States Army and relates his story of restoring electricity to a neighborhood in Baghdad. Jan also was an Eisenhower PhD fellow at the NATO Defense College in Rome, Italy. In this episode, we explore how energy infrastructure is not designed nor protected against cyber threats. There is now a realization of the importance of securing our energy system. Cyber threats can directly impact the military's and the nation's ability to respond to physical threats against countries or armies. We also discuss how even phishing scams can lead to compromising networks and impact the infrastructure of institutions and countries. We have an extensive discussion around the alliance of NATO and why acting through NATO provides collective benefits. China and Russia are also framed, not as immediate threats, but as potential future adversaries and how the constant foreign probing of computer systems needs to be stopped. The big takeaway from our discussion was the difference between virtual and physical threats and how these are accomplished. It would seem a cyber threat could be carried out by a small group of people. But as Jan explains, this is not really true, as a tremendous amount of knowledge in fields like engineering are necessary to bring down a network. We also get into the scary area of where the boundaries are in cyberspace. If these are not defined, then there is a threat of countries stumbling into war. Finally, the biggest takeaway is the cost that is needed to reform and refine the energy infrastructure. It seems like money is in short supply, so beating back these adversaries remains a challenge. Thank you for joining this episode of the My Energy 2050 podcast. If you find this episode useful, please send it forward on social media. And now for this week's episode. Jan, thank you for joining me today on the My Energy 2050 podcast. Michael, thank you. Uh, thank you so very much for uh, for having me. No, so, it's great, happy. really. So uh, maybe, maybe, uh, so we tell the listeners kind of um, to expose our deep secret. Uh, I was also your second supervisor on, on your PhD, which you have just, which you've submitted and successfully defended. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. And, and just last week, I got the diploma in the mail. So really, really excited about that. Oh, perfect. Okay, well, then you really have to update your profile online then. Um, the reason I wanted to have, a, have you on the podcast was really go over uh, some of the issues that are raised in your PhD thesis. And before we get started, is your thesis available online? Is that public now or is it I, under I wraps? Um, I think uh, I haven't I haven't seen the library uh, posting just just yet, but I think they will shortly. Okay, okay. So that they go through, so I had to go through that, but it was submitted. Okay, great. Uh, and also a little bit of background too, um, which I haven't read, but I also see you published a book on Putin, right? Natural gas is the instrument of Russian state power, and I never knew that at all. So congratulations. On, on yeah, that. thank you. Yeah, this is uh, this is over a little bit over a decade ago when I when I did uh, well about a decade ago when I did that first edition and it went into two two editions one in 2015 um, and then I'm uh, uh, I'm taking it to the next level with the report with the NATO Defense College that's going to come up come out about uh, uh, this week or next week uh, that I'm uh, co-authoring with uh, uh, Mark Ozawa over there as well. Who is also a Russian expert um, on on in, the, in 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 energy? So uh, and then let me start off with the first question, basically. So we all have a background of why did you become interested in energy and get into well, we could say a bit of gas, but also maybe the the topic today of cybersecurity. How how did you get involved in that? Yeah, so I think I'll I'll go with with uh, with the focus on on energy and cyber at at the same time. So when when I was a um, a captain about over a decade ago um, in the, in the army, I attended this six month long course on uh, advanced engineering, and uh, this was really a lot of fun. Primarily because I got to blow up a lot of things, 
but I also learned about uh, vulnerabilities in our critical infrastructure. And on one occasion, what we did is we visited this power plant and we did this little exercise about how to disable it. Uh, and, and, and the really scary part is that there are a lot of ways that you can disable a power plant. And what dawned on me was that most of the, the, these vulnerable uh, systems were controlled in one way or another by a computer, which is what we call today uh, operational technologies. As it turns out, these operational technologies were not designed with security in mind. They can be easily hacked, so to speak. And I have been fascinated by that ever since. Mm -hmm. And and uh, so that actually that leads to my second question of of being. Can you provide a bit of a? And I don't know all this actually. Some background about your military experience, so that way we can start to see. You know, you were a soldier, and then also how important the cybersecurity threat is compared to like the more physical, real world environment. Yeah. Um, so. I, I served uh, 13 years in, in the United States Army. And very early on, uh, when I commanded a, a, an infantry uh, platoon in, in Iraq, I was uh, responsible for a neighborhood in, in Baghdad. And, and this neighborhood didn't have any electricity for about four years. And it was really, really horrifying because it, not just schools didn't have power, right? So there was students couldn't go to, to school to, uh, to, to study, but there, were, there, there was no medication in the clinics. So patients were dying in the clinics because there was no power. There's no power to, in the refrigerator. So, the, so the, the medication would spoil. So, so a lot of people would die. Uh, there was no sewage, right? So you can imagine where people would do their, this is in a big city, in a mega city as, as Baghdad with over 10 million people. There was no clean water. In, in, in this particular neighborhood. And it, it, it was really amazing to, to see how dependent we are on, on electricity and how we take it uh, for granted. So what we did is we, we brought in uh, generators and, and, and we brought back uh, electricity to most of the people in, in this particular uh, neighborhood. So later I, I wrote a piece on this and I ended up uh, coining this, this whole process as expeditionary energy economics. Oh, and, uh, I love it. My, my introduction to, uh, uh, to, to energy security. Um, and, but, but then I, I, I went on and uh, didn't do uh, anything much on, on theory from, from that point on. Uh, and, and I became a uh, special operations officer uh, and uh, finished up my, uh, my service at the United States Cyber Command as a senior special technical operations uh, officer. And this was, this later part at, at US Cybercom, this was at a time when we were investigating foreign cyber attacks against American critical energy infrastructure. And this ended up becoming then the, the topic of, of my, my PhD at, at the Central European University. And today I'm, I'm advising uh, uh, NATO, um, our allies and, and our partners on, on this topic um, as well. Mm -hmm. So you have some real world experience of, of seeing on the ground what happens when people don't have access to, we say, energy in general. Right. I mean, it, it's, it, it was really great to, to meet uh, uh, Alec Chirpa initially. Who, uh, who really tried to, to, to get me to, to look more at the theory of energy security because I was a practitioner. I, 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 you know, I, wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't an academic and, and, and it was really nice to have somebody at CEU approaching me and saying, I, why, why don't you do a PhD on this? Because, because we need it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And anyone that reads that your thesis can, can see, and I think I actually made this comment towards the end there that you became an academic. Like your your yes, writing so style, your academic, yes. Yeah, your writing style and and how you brought the theory in and and structured your arguments in it, uh, really really developed well. So so I want to first I want to thank you for putting all that effort into 
yeah, conceptualizing it and becoming an academic. First, being thank you for being a soldier and in doing that, and then second, the the transition that you made personally is is quite hard, I would say, to be an academic. Then, so and no, thank you and Alex Antipas for for you know making that happen because you guys were were very you know very important in that process. So very very humbly, thank you. We have the easy work of just criticizing everything. <laughs> So, and maybe, maybe actually, uh, that, that kind of ties into your transition then and your work with NATO. Uh, can you, can you describe what you were doing and, and maybe still are with, with NATO and looking at cybersecurity? How, how did you get involved in this kind of more operational aspect of cybersecurity? Uh, right. So, um, the, the cybersecurity aspect with, with NATO happened, uh, the transition when I was at, uh, at the U.S. Cyber Command, so and and we've had several attacks on our critical infrastructure, and uh, and at the time, the, initially, uh, it was under uh, President uh, Obama and then President Trump. Uh, more 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 obvious became during during uh, President Trump, when the United States Cyber Command was was asked to, you know, how are you going to react in case of this attack against critical energy infrastructure. And initially the commanders at, you know, at, at the US Cybercom thought, okay, well, this is not our, this is not why Cybercom was stood up. And, and then it became re, you know, realistic. No, this is why it was stood up to protect our critical infrastructure. And we, we, we discovered that a lot of uh, civilian critical energy infrastructure also affects military operations. Bases, military bases are dependent on electricity that comes from outside. So if you if you target a transformer in a vicinity, you can shut down operations in, in, in a military base. Of course, there's backups and so forth, but it will affect operations. Mm-hmm. So so the the just because there's a military base in say Kansas or someplace doesn't mean that it's secure from 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 attack by an enemy right and it's, it's interesting that you you mentioned kansas which is where you know i've supported an effort there when uh back in uh, 2017 we had a cyber attack against a nuclear facility in burlington kansas i mean this this was this was huge i mean Im- imagine a you know a, a cyber attack and 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 the effect so of a successful cyber attack that could cause a meltdown in mm-hmm. uh and uh, on a nuclear facility on a nuclear facility and and, and that that would be horrible how, how we, do you, so this i don't want to overuse this word but it blows my mind basically because uh just the ramifications of this are just massive if you think about maybe traditional or even current warfare of you need to launch missiles or airplanes or something right to attack deep inside your another country's in the, in their country at their infrastructure like you physically have to do things but now there's this type of warfare where you, you just people in a room someplace anywhere in the world are attacking and really creating this vulnerability within a in, within a country itself so its military infrastructure can't work yeah i mean military mobility is dependent on energy and, and, and distance is a problem, right? So when we have operations outside, if we, if we talk about NATO having operations in the Middle East, whether it's going to be Iraq, whether it's going to be Afghanistan, right? And there's a big distance that, that you have to consider. And those troops that are fighting there, they have to get their fuel. And when you're talking about a cyber attack against the, the navigational controls of a ship that transports that fuel, to its destination, Let, let's say it gets hacked, and as a result, the 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 forces, the NATO forces, the NATO deployed forces do not get their fuel in time. That affects operations because you cannot move without fuel, and so, and mm-hmm. we live in a world where where a cyber attack can affect that uh, that transportation of fuel. But the vul- vulnerabilities are just massive then within this network, right? From from w- even just a base getting energy to then actually moving troops or moving supplies. Like there must be so many points which are 
creating this this weakness within the system. Absolutely, and and I don't I don't want to make this you know look so scary and because really you know it's it's not like you know we see a lot of movies out there and we're we're passionate about movies where you have the hacker coming in and all of a sudden he enters all these systems and shuts them down and it's not quite as easy as that, right? So a lot of these capabilities are not easily accessible by. Uh, by individuals and and it's you know it's not like you're gonna be able to log in on your computer and over the internet just end up uh, hacking into the navigational commands of of a, of a navy ship. Uh, it's it's not going to happen. Cyber now goes beyond the internet, and so what what we're more concerned of is not so much, for example, terrorists like ISIL terrorists or Daesh in uh, Iraq and Syria that may try to, to hack into NATO systems because they do not have the capabilities to do so. They have the intent, but they don't have the capabilities. What we're more concerned about is nation states that have the capabilities, and then you're hoping that they will not have the intent to actually attack us and create some real damage. I mean, we're being you know, there's attempts to to hack into NATO systems and to the systems of our allies every single day. I mean, they, they come from, from Russia, they come from China, they come from Iran, they come from North Korea, and and and, and you know some other states as well. But those let's those are the main four that that, that are out there actively having some intent, but you know. We're lucky, for example, that, that Russia and China don't have an intent to destroy a system. And on their side, their intent is to, to conduct reconnaissance about discovering vulnerabilities. And, and sometimes they're successful and other times they're not. And this, but this process happens every single day. And you wonder why, are, why is this happening? Well, it's because if you know the vulnerabilities in a system, in case of a conflict, you can target these systems and shut them down. Mm -hmm. So that gets us to, I would say, yeah, how do you defend it uh, against this? And and maybe surprisingly, at least in my mind, and correct me, would be just diplomacy. Good diplomacy is don't cause a war. <laughs> or yeah, I mean, how it's, you know, the when 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 I did my uh, my PhD, the one the most the, the key finding, I would say, uh, in, in my thesis is, is the need for, for uh, collaboration. It's basically identifying that, you know, yes, collective security alliances will become critical in the information sharing. Uh, and this is in order to enhance techno uh, technological capabilities, uh, capability building and, and cooperation in, in the cyber domain. And, and this is vital, this, this, this sharing of information, right? Um, and, and I would say this at the alliance level, but, but there is also another part of, I, I think that, that comes to the academia, which is beyond the, the, the security and defense spectrum, where we have to place a little bit more emphasis, emphasis on growing talent. Um, what we have nowadays in most universities and in the cybersecurity programs is they teach uh, how to, for example, uh, secure your uh, windows from being hacked or your email or which is more in, in the category of information technologies. There's not a lot of programs out there that bring it to the energy field. And now they're, they're looking at operational technologies, right? So not just the SCADA system, right? Can you define the SCADA? Uh, the, basically the, the system that, that runs our electrical system our, or the, 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 um, the reason that we get power. It's, and it, it's like when you're talking about an application that now operates a device that turns on and off a pump, mm -hmm. right? So these things are not, this, this, these are, this is what, what's, what's part of this operational technology. 
And, and it's critical to cover that in the energy field, because if you look, for example, with natural gas, if, uh, uh, you know, you can use these pumps to create a lot of pressure mm-hmm. and, and actually have a pump explode just by using a cyber attack. So now you have a, a cyber effect and a physical effect, right? So you have the cyber act of, of actually hacking into a system and starting to play with this operational technology and then resulting in an explosion, which is almost like you're shooting uh, you know, a missile in, in this particular uh, you know, pump and now you're causing it to explode. And, and it's just so interesting because basically just by sitting at a, okay, you, you, you point out how difficult it is, but it's still someone sitting at a computer someplace else causing this physical reaction to, to occur, which is quite profound, I, I would say, I would say. Yeah, but, you know, and, and the reason I'm highlighting states is because it's not just, you know, it's not like I have all this power at my fingertips once I sit in front of this government computer, right? It's, it's a teamwork. It really is teamwork. And it takes a lot of research to actually identify, like if you're talking about, you know, using it as, as a weapon, where you're now targeting an energy system of, of, of an adversary, it, it, it takes engineers that understand, because the person at, at the keyboards doesn't understand ah. all the minute details of this system. I mean, you know, maybe some genius would, right? But yeah. But, but it's, it's a whole process until you get, you know, to the person in front of the computer. Uh, the person in front of the computer or the hacker also uses systems that were built by other experts by looking at all these systems that were given to them by the engineers that are expert on the, experts on the engineering side. So, and, and this is what's, what's missing now in the educational system and at the university level. Whereas this is not just information technology. This, this is not just something that should be taught in a computer sciences department, right? Because when you're talking about operational technologies and energy security, there's a lot of engineering uh, involved. And so you have to kind of merge these, bring these two different uh, fields of study together to create a brand new one, which is, you know, cybersecurity of operational technologies. So you and, have and, both and engineering he, and computer science. Mm-hmm. And then like subsets of that energy infrastructure. So people specialized in pumps for, for your example there. And, right. and, this, and pumps mm-hmm. is just like one very minor, minor thing. As, as a matter of fact, uh, I think my biggest concern right, right now is not so much on, on, on vulnerability of pumps, but on the vulnerability of our uh, transformer substations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're, they're, and we're going to see more of this coming up in the news. Um, I mean, I'm not saying anything classified. It's, it's already, the discussion's already out there. We've been having it for, uh, for years uh, behind closed doors, and, and now it's finally coming out in the open that, that we need to tackle it, and, and, and individual countries are, are trying to tackle it, right? Because we have... Uh, substations that function with in, uh, intelligent electronic devices, right? So this is what what makes these these little intelligent substations. Uh, but the problem is that that these devices were built, these, these these substations were built to increase efficiency. They were not built with security in mind. They were when they built them, they didn't think, oh, somebody's going to try to hack into them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So now we have. Uh, all of our countries. I mean, it, 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 there's there's not one nation that has fixed the problem so far. I mean, some countries like the United States are further along than others. Um, and and I've, I've I've spoken to uh, uh, to the cybersecurity experts of energy companies in in, in different uh, nation states. And 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 what's what's it going to take for them to fix the problem? And and how many tens of billions of dollars is going to cost? which obviously electrical companies don't have the money to, to invest when you're talking about not even, not 1 million, not 1 billion, you're talking tens of billions 
to replace all of this infrastructure at one 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 time. It's not going to happen. And so, and, and then you 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 go so. There's there's some workarounds, right? So they they do some temporary security measures that they can they can uh, they can apply. But then, sure. But most of the these these transport these substations are out there in the countryside. All they have around them is a fence. A lot of times, a rusted fence that has fallen fallen down. I mean, uh, if if you know, I've I've been driving through Romania. And I'm sure you've been driving through through Hungary, and and you know, and and you see that there's no camera around them. There's no security. You just, anybody can go in there, and and you can use one of these substations to actually access the mainframe. No right? way. <laughs> and 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 now you're creating havoc, like havoc in 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 in, in a system that and, and that's very scary i uh-huh. mean and and but but this kind of undermines or it adds another level of complexity to say smart cities smart grids even we, if we talk about the urban environment and this you know revolution that's coming along because the buzzword is smart cities and integrated cities so it actually then not just the energy infrastructure and we've been focused on that but also what healthcare and everything right when you talk about energy and then the impact it can have and if you digitize more of the energy infrastructure the the, the fallout from that yeah i mean even if you look at all the all industries not just energy are, are impacted if you look at the you mentioned healthcare I mean, we've had all these ransomware uh, attacks uh, against uh, healthcare facilities, like in the UK, where now you have, uh, you know, heart transplant operations being canceled or surgeries being canceled because, well, the system is 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 down because you know somebody hacked into it and we can't really use it, and and that's problematic because as a result, people die. Yeah. So so there's all uh, these all these different ways. Sorry, I just came to mind of it. <laughs> I don't mean to go off topic, but it's also uh, like I've been getting phone calls recently from people saying that I signed up for a financial service and I needed to go to a website and download a program. Would that be a bad idea to download the program? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I mean, that's you talking about phishing. It's like it, you, you actually it's not it's not off topic, because if you look at, at all of these uh, hacking incidents that have happened over the past decade, uh, because, like you mentioned, with with all the intel, like you know, all the the smart city ideas growing up, so the number of cyber threats is is growing exponentially. Um, and if you look at, uh, you know, we've had hacks of uh, uh, entire systems being shut down um, in 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 all industries, including the media, for example, uh, and. If you look at uh, at one of the, what's the main reason why why this has happened, and it's really it's it's human error. It's not so much that the system was vulnerable; it's because you know a person was not following proper procedures on protecting these systems. Like we we buy a piece of software, like the the media was hacked at one point by by by. Uh, uh, you know, all these different websites ended up collapsing and all these videos like not working. And it turns out is, well, nobody bothered to change the password that, that comes on, on this, all of these, you know, we, we, we get uh, uh, a router and we install a router and we don't bother to put our own password on the router. We keep the default router, so whenever we forget it, we go back to the router, we turn it up, upside down, and and we look at, okay, let me see, what was the password again? Oh yeah, this is the password, I'm gonna put it in. But then all of these are being held by a company on a list, and it turns out that list is not secure. And somebody gets their hand on that list, and now they have access to all of these different routers globally, wherever this company has sold routers um because you know less than you know i don't i'm being very conservative when i'm saying less than 10 percent. yeah but 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 basically right they can choose to uh target those routers or those individuals using the routers they access the organizations so if i download a program they hack into see you Right and, and steal all the student grades. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, something you know, something like that, right? It's it's very possible. I mean, it's not easy. I mean, it's 
you know, CEU does use, uh, you know, a lot of good security uh, practices, but it's not impossible either, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if somebody does gain access, whether, I mean, it could be somebody that has worked in, in, in a security office at one point and then got fired and is now disgruntled and, right, and you never know. And uh, yes, it's, it's very possible that all of a sudden somebody's grades may be going up or why not have it for people you don't like? Don't like, yeah. Uh, but but then it kind of puts the emphasis where you talk about cybersecurity, NATO, like all these big things. But really, then it actually comes down to like the individual, right? Uh, and individual actions can impact. It's it's like goes back to like what World War Two or something where you know you should. There's always ears around, right? And you got to be careful what you're discussing. In a sense, we have to be careful who we let into our computer. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you don't want to, back in the day, I mean, people don't do that as much anymore, but, you know, you'd go to uh, all these facilities and people would have the sticky notes on their on their screens with the password for the computers. Like, why do you have a password if you keep? If you keep the password, you know, on, 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 the, on the screens. I mean, things have improved because we realize that, yes, it's the human factor that is that is that is the biggest threat it really is the biggest threat so if we start uh using procedures to protect ourselves you increase your the security of 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 your systems and and this goes from uh right it it used to be oh this this uh facility this uh power plant is is not connected to the internet we are a standalone system Right. Yeah. Well, there's ways to hack into those two without being connected to the internet. But a lot of times people would come in with their iPads or their iPhones and then put the, the and plug them into the, the little USB ports on the computers that were supposed to be standalone. Mm-hmm. But now you've connected a phone that has access to the internet to a standalone system just so you can charge your phone. Yes. And, and People were doing that quite often. I mean, this wasn't just, you know, because they wouldn't have a wire or they couldn't find a plug to plug in something uh, so they can charge the phone, but they can use the USB uh, port and, and the computer where, uh, right at your desk. Nice. So, and, and well, that's, that's a problem now because now you've connected a standalone system yes. to another system that is connected to the internet. Yes. So if somebody had uh, intent and capability to attack that system, now they could. Wow, that's great. Let's let's move on a little bit. Uh, I want to go to to NATO and and I mean you mentioned about the cooperation between uh, the importance of cooperation, but why 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 NATO? Like why? I mean, yeah, just why NATO? Why why do the countries of NATO have to cooperate in the area of cybersecurity? Yeah. So the advanced persistent threats in the cyber domain have been growing, like like we mentioned uh, earlier, um, but they've been growing to such an extent that our allies can no longer afford to tackle the threats uh, independently. And one of the biggest constraints that, uh, that allies have is really limited resources. And, and this will be particularly the case today. I mean, if, if you're looking at the, at the COVID pandemic, right, so you have uh, because of the pandemic, a lot more constraints with on how you spend your budget. And we know that all of our economies are, are affected and it's going to take a long time uh, for, uh, for, for us to recover. Um, first, before we even get to recovery, we haven't seen the fallout economically that, that's going to that's gonna come mm-hmm. in, in, in 2021. And, and we have Germany, for example, that's, that's warned its banks uh, to, to prepare for big companies de- declaring bankruptcy, wow. right? So you're talking, it's, we're going to have some very big budget constraints um, coming up in, in the short term, uh, while at the same time you have these growing cyber risks, right? So how are you going to tackle them? Because now you can no longer do it independently. So I think what's, what's, what's happening here is you have this increasing collaboration that... Uh, 
that will happen out of necessity more than out of uh, shared goodwill of, of you know of countries wanting to help each other they're they're going to have to cooperate in order to protect themselves is cybersecurity i mean okay i don't want to draw too many parallels but you you mentioned covid-19 and the response to it which has been very national has only had could only occur in a sense at the national level although the vaccine development seems to be quite international as well but with companies but I, I think the thing that's shocking everybody is how underfunded and underprepared the the health system is. So can we kind of maybe also kind of understand maybe that, that the energy infrastructure or cybersecurity is also, while we have all these great tools and great experts, right, it is also maybe on par with our health system? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, because I talk about cyber, I'm excited about it, right? But we have to realize that, you know, it may not necessarily be the biggest threat, like like you're mentioning. I mean, you look around around the European Union, like in Romania, where, where, where I'm where I'm at right now, uh, just uh, just this past weekend, uh, there was a huge accident in, in the Moldovan side of uh, region of, of Romania and where, where a hospital just basically got on fire. And mm-hmm. and so you have. Uh, all of these hospitals, COVID facilities that were, were these facilities that were stood up to um, to respond to the pandemic, that it turns out that they are operating without without uh, authorizations because they can't pass even the most basic, right? Because the wiring is not done correctly, or because and uh, and this is happening in uh, you know this this isn't happening in a poor country you know, um, out in a, in the third world, this is happening right here in, in the European union. Mm-hmm. And, and that's very disconcerting. I mean, yeah. I, I can't even have, if you can't even have the right, uh, the right wiring in, in your facility, what expectations can I have that you will protect your, 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 your computers? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 I often talk to, uh, to, to CEOs, even in the energy field, and and they realize I mean security is a cost, particularly cybersecurity. And a lot of them rather just take the risk and say, well, we've never been hacked. How do you know you've never been hacked? And the idea is, well, the mouse that the, the mouse never really moved on the screen <laughs> by itself. So well, that doesn't mean that you weren't hacked. What they're saying is that they're if, if they were hacked, you know, nobody tries tried to to shut down their, their networks or whatever the case may be. Yeah, but this is changing, and, and more people are realizing that because now, if if you are being hacked, and it turns out that you knew that there was a risk, and you didn't protect your customers, it's gonna come back to haunt you. So now there is more investments into uh, in, into into cybersecurity, but that has to compete those investments, right? Because it's a cost. Those costs have to compete with costs into other areas, not just other industries where you're talking, right, the medical industry and and you're talking costs within just one company, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody's competing with all of these departments are competing with each other about, well, we need to spend, we need to increase the budget for this, we need to increase the budget for this. And and the cybersecurity uh, person, right, whoever's in charge, they have the CISO, they have to do the same thing. They're going to have to go to the CEO and to the board and everything, everybody else, and explains why and explain why they need this increase in budgets. Mm-hmm. But the picture is even bigger than that because they have to go to the regulator, or I mean, it depends on the on the type of company, right? But or the customer. Ultimately, the customer has to pay for these things, and so the price yeah, will the have to go up. Want to pay. I mean, nobody, nobody. If you look pragmatically in in, in the chain. Right, the CEO, if he spends more on this, that means his and his net profit at the end of the year will be lower. That means his bonus will be lower. So, so you're you're looking at all these. Okay, so he's not very interested in, in spending more money on cybersecurity. If you're talking about okay, so something that's very much on the news nowadays with the 5G, right, with with Huawei infrastructure, where. Now it turns out that a lot of uh, for even a lot of the 4G infrastructure in in Europe, for a lot of the phone companies, is dependent 
on on Huawei infrastructure. Like I will give you an example of Vodafone, and this is it's again it's it's out there. I mean they've done studies where, uh, for example, now 100% of uh, Vodafone operations at 4G, and in the future they were thinking 5G as well is dependent on Huawei infrastructure, right? So now we want to move away from Huawei because it's Chinese. Right and 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 by all means, I mean it is actually vulnerable, and there are there are backdoors in these systems where now you have a Chinese military that can actually access the systems whenever they want to, and that's that's scary, right? So you do want to replace them, but it's going to cost more, and who's going to pay that price? Well, it's going to be the customers. So now when you're thinking, well, I'm in Eastern Europe and I get almost unlimited internet, or I get unlimited inter internet, and I get unlimited phones and everything else, and all I pay is $10 a month. I know. I mean, literally, it's almost $10. I mean, I, I, what I hear about what the cost is in America, and what I pay here in Hungary, it's a huge difference. It's crazy how much they pay in America. Right, so if we wanna move at 5G, and we wanna move away from Huawei infrastructure, well, that price is going to go up. Yeah, but so, do we need to be, can, can it be like country specific? Um, okay, I'm being a bit funny, but can we be country specific? Like we don't have to worry about the Chinese in Eastern Europe, right? Right. Actually, no, this does go to the point like Hungary, Romania. Yeah, whatever the Chinese, whatever. But maybe the bigger threat is, is Russia, right? So so let's just go with Hawaii and, and we're good. But that's not how like the NATO's thinking on this, is it? Well, it's, I wouldn't say that because, you know, you have uh, NATO is made up of nations and, and some nations are more concerned about China, like the United States, at least at this very moment, it may change uh, with, with the next administration, we will see. Uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, the Chinese threat, so to speak, is going to, is going to go away, it's still going to be there. But it's, it's a matter of, okay, so which which is the biggest threat right now? Is it, is it China or is it Russia? At least in the US, right? For countries like Poland, who shares a border, right? With, you know, it, it's, it's uh, then, yeah, for them, Russia is, is much more, you know, of a threat. But then there is an, it's an, it's an alliance. So now with, within this alliance, there's also agreement. So you have now, uh, the Department of State has started this idea of clean technologies, which basically means Chinese free, right? Uh, <laughs> clean of China. And, and, and yeah, you do have a lot of countries, including Poland, including Romania, that have agreed that for 5G, they will not use Chinese technologies. And, um, and that's going to mean more costs in, in the future. Um, and uh, yeah, but you're absolutely right. It, it doesn't mean just because a country perceives, a, a, you know, another country as an adversary. It doesn't mean that NATO as a whole perceives that country as an adversary. As 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 a matter of fact, Russia is not officially recognized as an adversary by NATO. Right? The Soviet Union was at one point, right, up until the end of the Cold War. But since then, there was this effort that you know, despite the occasional disagreements and so forth. Um, to to have uh, Russia as a partner, and I think those efforts stopped with uh, with the invasion of uh, of Crimea, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and since then it's it's not quite an adversary, but it's not a partner either. So mm -hmm. it's uh, most most writings call it a a potential adversary, and Pot the same okay. way as, we, we should China. use that term. China and Russia are all potential adversaries. But, but yeah, but we're concerned about China, Russia, Iran. We're concerned mm -hmm. about North Korea, right? Because but this is but this is the where the 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 action has to kind of go around. Then is these potential adversaries, potential scenarios of the future when there could be conflict and even minor conflict could still uh, because is is there a perception that's different between a physical altercation between countries and one that takes place in say cyberspace. Yeah, there, 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 there definitely is a, a, a big difference. I mean, um, and 
you know, I, I was an infantry officer starting, right? And 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 I, I deployed to Iraq, and I've I've seen I've seen combat, which which is very different, right? So I, I've been I've been shot at with weapons, and and I shot back with with right with weapons, uh, and I've been you know hacked, and right. And when I worked with the government, we also had uh, cyber weapons, right? So we hacked back, and there's there's a very significant difference between the two. One is very bloody. It's, there, there's, you know, it, it's very, very hard to describe. The other one, it's unpleasant, but, but, but not so much harmful physically, right? So there's no, um, not necessarily, right, going into the future. To date, we haven't had a war being started because of a cyber attack. But NATO, is now recognizing that if a cyber attack is significant enough against one of our allied countries, one of the allies, then that may be reason enough to go to war. Mm -hmm. And and that's unprecedented, right? We, We don't know yet what that threshold is. And there's a lot of discussion about that. Um, I don't know if we'll see that anytime soon. Uh, but what we do have, yes, we do have engagements in the cyber domain, but that's not really a war, right? There's not a declaration of war. There's not, those are more or less different interests and that are taking advantage of the lack of legislation in the cyber domain. And, and this is why you have, uh, because it's really hard to, to say Okay, there's, you talk about data, which is not a physical thing. So in the past, you have an attack against a physical infrastructure. You blow it up. It's clear, right? It's, it belongs to this country. This country is responsible to protecting it. In the cyber domain, if you hack a system in the cloud, well, which country is responsible to protecting that system in the cloud? Right? There's no so there's, treaty kind of... There's, saying that you crossed the line. Right. And and this is where you have, you know, th- there will be more efforts and we will see more efforts from the states to regulate the internet. And and a clear example of this, that why it's already happening and you'll see this, you know, moving in that direction even more. Um, you have the uh, GDPR mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the EU for protection of data. And that also includes protection of data being stolen from another region. And, and so it's not just what you see on the on the websites uh, that notice, it's, it's, it, it goes beyond that. You have uh, Putin's uh, uh, internet kill switch, right? So oh, he has one, yes. So he has one now, he has one now and, and, and it's been tested where he can shut down the internet in his entire country uh, in case of an emergency. Um, or um, you have the, the Chinese firewall Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when, when I was in China, I mean, I couldn't use my Gmail. I mean, I had to use, and not even all my, even like I could, I was using VP, a VPN, not even all my VPNs would work. Like only some of them would. Oh, wow. So it, it, it was really, you know, it, 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 it was more challenging to use certain networks because you have now all these countries that are trying to protect data that is stored on systems or on physical systems within their country. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like these new boundaries, like boundaries as in we have these physical boundaries, right? Which are demarcated on the land. And now we have these virtual digital boundaries going up as well. Yeah, and it, it's going to be interesting to see where, um, you know, if we, uh, where do, how the regulations will look like in the future. Mm-hmm. What, 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 it, what is clear is that we are having uh, almost a securitization of the internet as well, not just of, of energy systems, but of, of the internet as a whole uh, on based on regions, right? So you have the European Union, mm-hmm. you have the United States, you have Russia, you have China. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, that's big. And I think it will continue this fragmentalization Based India, on India, and like India blocks, like I hear this from my kids who are on TikTok and well connected around the world, which is amazing. The other information they get about how 
people have access to the internet and then what's blocked in certain countries. And for them, they say, you know, TikTok or some other programs are, are blocked in India. And they, they know this. Like, it's very differentiated now by, by country where before we could say, like, when we were growing up, when the internet, right, was, was accessible to everybody. And it really brought about this era where we thought, yeah, we have the internet and it can really make a difference and challenge governments. Now governments are, are fighting back. I guess, against this kind of global interconnectedness. I mean, I, I wouldn't call it as, as you know, the government's uh, fighting back. I mean, I think it was a, as, as a natural transition. Right? We go back uh, to the time when the radio came mm-hmm. to exist, right? And 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 then how, you know, you have all these uh, legislation that, that ended up governing the, the waves Right, and then the foundation within the United Nations of the ITU, right, the uh, Information uh, International Telecommunication Unit, right. So, which which regulates a lot of that, right? Regulates all these things with you know phone calls and right. This how these industries are are operating, um, phone industries, radio industries, and so forth. And yeah, it's only a matter of time until the internet will be will be wow. put into it. But there's also a big effort to stop that, right? So I, I don't think it will happen in the same way that we've seen it with with those other type of industries. I do think that some freedom will have to stay out and we have to exist. People will not accept now being closed off again by by their governments too. So so where they only have access to the information that their government provides them. It's the basis think, of the internet, right? Is this freedom? I, I, mm-hmm. I think we're way past that that point. We we passed that point of no return, no no return. I mean, and I, if if a government uh, will try to pass that, it will by exception, not as a, as a general rule, like we see we see in the case of uh, of China and and Russia. Uh, Jan, the the last question I have, kind of this gets gets us into there, is for energy scholars. How do you how do you and maybe this also goes to what you might be doing next. I don't know, but how do, how do you think energy scholars kind of overall uh, should incorporate more cybersecurity into into studies? Because it, it seems quite limited to to me. How 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 do you see maybe the importance or areas that we should consider more? Yeah, the, the, the good thing is that there's more and more scholars that are beginning to be interested in the, in the cyber field. Um, and, and that includes in, in the energy field, right? So you see a lot more um, articles that are coming out in, in peer-reviewed journals that, that are talking about, uh, about cyber and energy. Right about uh, the, the cyber threats to to our critical energy infrastructure, um, but we're we're only at the beginning, and uh, and I but but I think it's a critical step, right? Because the more people talk about it, the more people realize that this 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 needs to be addressed, and 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 this is how eventually you have these universities opening up their doors and and opening up these programs that we talked about earlier, um, that prepares. Students on on how to how to protect a critical energy system right? mm-hmm. in, in the cyber domain, and uh, because really the you know I, I, we need talent we need talent uh, talent that not necessarily on the academic side I'm, I'm talking about we need talent right there on the ground that are getting their hands dirty that understand how these systems work and that understand how they should protect it, not just physically, right, but also in, in the cyber domain. And, and once we have that, then you will increase security tremendously. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, you have to have all these scholars. And it's this co- cooperation that has to occur. Yeah, but they have to talk about it. And, and you know, and a lot of times, I mean, you have a lot of the scholars that have no engineering background. I mean, I was lucky because I went through this, you know, six month long program and 
and I got a, I got a feeling about actually seeing physically what happens to, to a system, but, but most academics don't. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's still a good thing. The fact that they, they're, they're talking about it, they're, they're researching, because that's what academics do. They research. And, and even though they don't have the knowledge firsthand, through research, they can still make a difference and they can put forward, hey, look, we need somebody to look at, you know, at, at these systems because these systems may be vulnerable because somebody may read their piece and then actually go and put their hands and get their hands dirty with the system mm-hmm. and then realize when this is at the corporation level, at the company level, right within these, these you know, whoever's in charge of protecting a power plant and so forth and realize, oh, wow, we have a major problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it takes the real experience to kind of, put that in place i think it takes a combination i mean that's and you know we, we've talked we've, we've talked about it it's, it's a combination of different fields right you need people that are that are experts in in energy you need people that are experts in in engineering you need people that are experts on computer science and oh wait we need people that are experts on policy right there's in a reason theory. why yes I mean, there, no, there's a reason why, you know, the, the, the program at CEU is, is called environmental sciences and policy, because that is critical. Because now, yes, you do have European regulation that is mandating all these companies to make an assessment of how secure their system is in the cyber domain. But nobody's telling them how to assess, mm-hmm. right? So that's not in the legislation, that's not in regulations. So every company, they assess it in however way they want to. And that's a problem, right? Because I can come in there with, without any knowledge and, and just look at the system. I look left and I look right. And then I decide, okay, well, this, this looks secure to me. I don't see any wires coming out in the wrong place. Yeah, but... Uh, but, right? So you need, you need people that understand regulation, that understand what the policies are. And uh, in order to, and they need to work together with the engineers, with these people in, in, in the energy field, with these computer scientists, and somehow they all speak different languages. And, and this on, is very- yeah, and it, it takes a long time for this cooperation to develop and for... Well, we're getting there. I, I, yeah. I, you know, we're getting there. I mean, we're, you know, we're not where we were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. We're not where, where I wish we were, go- we, we, we were. But, but we're getting there. So, you know, even though I, I, I took a bit of a tone, a, a bit of an alarmist tone in, in, my, in my dissertation, you know, I don't, I don't want to be apocalyptic. That, no, oh. no, but, but I think our discussion now was really good. I think, I think the thing I need to do is uh, get it on some program to learn how to blow up a power plant myself, <laughs> physically. <laughs> Right. I, I, I know this policy. I know the regulation. Right. But but you had this experience of going and looking at the vulnerabilities of a power plant. So, I, you know, I, I have my Ph.D. What, what more can I do? So but it's important to, to do and It's important to have people that, that, that are going through these different uh, programs, too. And, and, you know, because otherwise there, there's like I said, there's so many vulnerabilities that you can identify in a power plant. But you don't want to talk about them. And this was a challenge. This was a mm-hmm. huge challenge when I was doing my, 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 my dissertation. Because the purpose was how do I help, right? What, how do I bring something to the table without creating more damage than good, right? Because yeah. I don't want to highlight too many vulner- or critical vulnerability, vulnerabilities that then certain potential adversaries, to, to, write the, to, to, to use the correct term, could use against us, right? Because I don't want somebody from uh, Daesh or ISIL, right? And so a terrorist organization now getting an idea and saying, oh, I know this system is, is, uh, is vulnerable. Let me go and figure out how to, how to hack it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jan, Jan I, I just want to kind of maybe uh, conclude here. I, A, with your thesis, I think you did quite well. It's not boring, but we took the excitement out of it and made it academic. <laughs> so so yes. there's no golden key to anyone to, to learn how to do something in it because it's academic now. So, yeah, 
in, in, in a very academic, exciting way, which, you know, in real life then doesn't give you a whole lot of stuff to do on it or something. I, I, that's a little joke, but I, I actually uh, will have to look to see if it's published on, on the, on the, in the, from the library and people can access that. So, Jan, I just want to thank you very much for, for coming and discussing this topic of cybersecurity in the energy sector. It was awesome, awesome talk. Thank you very much. No, thank you, Michael. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the My Energy 2050 podcast. Please follow the My Energy 2050 podcast in iTunes or Stitcher so that you can automatically get updated with each new episode. If you like this episode and feel others can benefit from the information, please share it on social media. You can contact me to provide feedback or suggestions on Twitter at MyEnergy2050 or on LinkedIn 